You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hello and welcome to another edition of the show where we take a wander around the week in Apple, Apple News, Reviews, Technology, Associated Products and all sorts of other things that catch our eye. This is another episode of the Essential Apple Podcast. Hello listeners and welcome to this week's episode. And what else? It's WWDC, of course it is. Because, well, what else would we talk about? And to talk about WWDC, I am joined by Mark. Hello, Mark. Hello. And Jim. Hello, Jim. Hello, Playmates. Oh, and we are joined by Kelly Gamont of the Mac Observer Daily Observations and various other things, which she can tell us about later. But hello, Kelly. Hey, guys. It's nice to be here. Excellent. Uh, right. Well, um, I guess we'll just kick off because... Uh, why not? There's a lot to cover. It was a big, big keynote. I thought it might be a bit of a filibuster this year, and it was um, absolutely nearly two hours long, uh, all pre-recorded by the look of it. Uh, very well done, actually. I thought it was very nicely put together. I don't know what you yeah. thought about that. It was very slick, very professional. And that, that, I think, is the way that she'd carry on. Yeah. It definitely wasn't as... I don't know, the last couple of WWDCs, they're talking at such a pace and cadence that you sort of think, there's no breathing room. But here, I think the nice sort of swooshes in between all the cutscenes, they sort of punctuated that point, and then you had a little bit of time to sort of just take it in. Um, Just as I was saying to Kelly, there was a lot here, but when you look at it, there wasn't a lot as well. Does that make sense? Well, what they had to say, what they had to say didn't take a lot of time to say, but the implications of what they said is the part that's massive. Like we're getting computers with entirely new processors. That's huge. But to say we're going to start making computers with our own silicon inside them is a totally like that doesn't take long to express as a set of words. Right. Like that sentence isn't very long. However, what it means is huge. It's a seismic shift in what we're getting from Apple with regards to hardware. Oh I mean, yeah, it was. So, I mean, did you notice that it was sign? I it was signposted right at the start, and I had a very big tip off tip off on this when oh, I can't remember who was on the stage, and they brought up photos, and then they brought up the sidebar menu, and I went, "That's a Mac app." And then mm-hmm. as, as they kept going through the show, they kept showing notes in maps. In I'm thinking. This all looks very similar to um, Catalina. So when it's like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I think they would, I like the way they were signposting it all the way through, but I think in a very subtle sort of way. Mm -hmm. The big big news to me was purely down to the the stuff about the the Mac and the the ARM chips and that. Um, iOS 14, the changes are nice, but nothing really spectacular. Um, You've seen it all before on Android. Um, Yes. iPad OS, not a lot of difference really. Um, Not interesting to watch. I thought Um, the, um, I I think, uh, and somebody on, uh, I think somebody on Twitter might have hit it on the head. Somebody said, I, I, it might have been, um, I can't remember who it was now. It might have been Ben Thompson, but it doesn't matter. Um, Or Benedict Evans, it doesn't matter. Um, They said, I suspect, oh, it might even have been Jeff actually, now I think of it. But anyway, 
they said, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I remember the comment, not who said it. Actually, thinking back, I think I think it was Jeff Gamut. Um, he said, I suspect that a lot of diehard, um, you know, long-term Mac users are going to be horrified by the new iOSified um, Finder look, where in mm. reality that's purely cosmetic. Um, but newer users coming from iOS are going to love it. Well, this is the thing. Is who really goes from iOS to Mac? I always thought that it would start off on the Mac and then go to iOS. In the old no. days, that was true. Yes, originally, yeah. when iOS was new, had a Mac. Everybody who had a Mac was interested in an iPhone initially because we were legally obligated as Apple computer users to be interested in the new Apple computer. It just happened to be one that fit in your pocket, and. Now, like the iPhone, I don't think it's un- it's overstatement to call the iPhone a juggernaut. And like, you know, it's got like it's got an annual revenue larger than a lot of you know countries in the world. So, yeah. like, I think that like that you know you're absolutely right. Like initially, yes, the the iPhone needed to look a lot like macOS, so it was familiar to people who were coming to it from macOS because they I, I don't know who they expected to pick it up first, especially because at that point phones were still subsidized, so you could get a phone for ninety nine dollars, and Apple was trying to charge you six hundred. So it was a very different time in the olden days in two thousand seven when uh, I got up at three o'clock in the morning and waited in line to go be in the room where it happened, and then. Uh, now, like everybody has an iPhone, it seems like, um, and not all of them have, you know, if people have a computer at home, maybe it's an Apple computer. It's, it could be an old windows machine, you know, and, and maybe it's, you know, it's time for that to upgrade. And so if you lots, lot, I mean, we can look at any numbers from literally any earnings call from 2007 to now and see how many Macs they're talking about being in circulation versus how many iPhones are in circulation. And it's orders of magnitude difference. Oh, So yeah. I think a lot of people coming from, I think far more people come to Mac OS from an iPhone than from Windows now. So it's absolutely fair to say that. And that's why I feel, I've been saying this for some time now, that's why I feel uh, Mac OS is heading towards being uh, very much an iPad type uh, style of operating system. I I, I, I still think they're going to emerge eventually. Eventually, maybe, but I I think there'll be flavours. I don't think they're going to merge into one OS per se. But I oh. think they are getting closer and closer together because they are crossing over features one to the other. I mean, they're taking the they're taking the Mac Finder sidebar basically and saying, right, we're going to put this in iOS. We're taking things like the Control Center from iOS and we're putting them on the Mac. And of, of course, as they started adding those things, it became. I thought, well, this is also leading up to the whole um, Apple Silicon, as we're now going to call it, um, because It'd be quite simple if you're if you're building an ARM Apple Silicon based Mac to port those things. Way easier to do than you know having to recode it for Intel and so on. Yeah, I think there's a bigger issue that they've got to deal with straight away. We need Apple branded screen wipes because God knows <laughs> when I was in my last job and you've got the mouse and people would touch a Windows screen because they're so used to touching a screen. What's it going to be like in the App Store now? You can see people <laughs> seeing this new OS and they're going to go, you know what? I'm going to keep prodding the screen. And then you have to educate people that, no, this isn't a touch screen. If, if, you, so, look at, if you look at it, you know, you've got iOS, iPadOS, WatchOS, TVOS, MacOS. They're all, they're all going into uh, ARM 
um, hardware uh, chips. Yeah. So, so basically, you'll be able to cross, you know, your an iOS app can work in Mac, and Mac OS can work in uh, Mac app can work in iOS, that kind of thing. That's just where I'm saying they'll eventually become one. All our software will work in each. Yeah. each uh, well, I'm not platform. sure everything there will was work. A slight, there was a slight problem with that, though, isn't there? Because we haven't got Final Cut on the iPad yet. yet. They, they've shown it working on, um, on on the Mac Silicon, whatever they're going to call it. Mm-hmm. But there's I, wonder- a, I think what you're going to get is you're going to get uh, what used to be called a universal binary. Uh, this mm. is a thing. They talked about it briefly in the State of the Union. And it's the thing that we got when Apple went from Mac OS 9 to Mac OS 10. Or OS 9, I guess we had to call it OS 9 to OS 10 to Mac OS 10. I think we and- also had, didn't we also have universal binaries when we went from 68K to PowerPC? To PowerPC. Yeah. So, like, we've seen this transition before. And basically what happens is you get one app, right? There is one blob of code, one file that you download from wherever it is that you're downloading it from. So let's say it's the Mac App Store. And let's say I have an app that's super amazing. All of you want it. Um, I want to put, if I want to put that out, I can put it out, you know, thanks to the magic of Catalyst. And I admit I haven't dug a ton into it. I've only done a, a little tiny bit of this. But you can create that thing and you can have there be a Mac version and you can have there be an iOS version. And, you know, if you want to build something for watchOS, if you want to build something for tvOS, you can do that, too. The thing that's the the magic of it is maybe it does different things depending on the platform that you're on. So you can and- build the functionality that you want everywhere. But, you know, the one that runs on tvOS is going to be different from watchOS, is going to be different from iOS, is going to be different from iPadOS, is going to be different from macOS. And, well, you know, I just rattled off all those different versions of operating system, but they all come from the same kernel of code, mm-hmm. right? Because it's all it's all using... Um, uh, I want to say it's uh, Darwin, the Darwin kernel. Uh, like everything comes out of that core Unix operating system. Like they were talking about system on a chip. Uh, the system on a chip, I believe, is going to be some flavor of Darwin. Like I'm sure Darwin has evolved over time. We first got that like literally 20 years ago. So I think there's a certain amount of it that's going to come from that. And so maybe you just build your app and like on Mac OS, it has a menu bar. On iOS, it doesn't. All you have to build for watchOS is a complication. You need to make sure that the interactivity, the the interaction mechanism on tvOS is a remote control and not fingers on a screen like it is in the iPhone version. So, you know, you can still be developing one app. You just may have like a number of parallel tracks depending on what hardware it's going to ultimately end up on. Even if it's all Apple designed hardware, like a Mac is different from Apple TV is different from a watch, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And I'll tell you something. I don't think it's going to be that. I don't think it's going to. I think a lot of people are needlessly heading to their fainting couches right now. Oh, yes. What's happening. Well, this is makes it interesting. I mean, so do you reckon that we're going to see again? I don't want to keep banging on about Final Cut. It's the one that I'm sort of a bit sort of. <laughs> Because I'm using LumaFusion, and there's a few things with LumaFusion that are just making me pull my hair out at the moment. Okay. Let, let's say, okay, let's say Photoshop. I mean, there's already been uh-huh. a bit of an outcry to say, you know, we were expecting full Photoshop. Do you think that people would accept that if they buy an iPad 
And bearing in mind they've just demonstrated that an iPad is as fast as a computer, but they can't do certain things because that's not as it was designed for. Do you think people would buy that? Or do you think people would go, well, I know I can do this much on my iPhone and then I can do this much on my iPad, but to do everything, I'm going to need to get a computer. Well, I think there's a this is this is the opposite situation of what I normally describe as technological honesty, because I'm usually talking about people who um, have that old Windows laptop, like I was talking about earlier, have a really old Windows machine. It's 10 years old. It's 12 years old. You know, it won't run. It won't even run Windows 8. Right. It barely runs Windows 7. And, you know, forget Windows 10. Like, that is absolutely not a language. Would that's say that's a blessing in disguise. Right? <laughs> that, can, that can be true. But when people are in the market to upgrade that, that machine, right, the, the old, the, the old, 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 old computer, right? Yeah. Um, somebody's in the market to upgrade that. Like, for a lot of people, if they are technologically honest with themselves, an iPad will do everything that they want it to do. Like, I want to go on Facebook. I want to read my email. I want to play solitaire. And I want to be able to look at a web page from time to time, maybe some banking, right? You can do all of that on an iPad absolutely effectively. It will be faster. It will be more portable than that giant desktop tower you've got in the kitchen. You know, it's going to be quieter. It's going to be faster. It's going to be way more compatible with all this stuff. Now, there will be a slight behavior shift. But for a lot of people, a viable option to that 8, 10, 12-year-old Windows machine or even 12-year-old Mac, you know, depending on on how old, you know, I, I'm, I have no room to talk. Um, there is a, a 12-year-old Mac in my house. It's the uh, late 08 Unibody MacBook, and uh, it still runs, and it runs Catalina, as a matter of fact. But anyway. Um, <laughs> Shoot all that one onto it. I mean, I've, I've got a 2009. Like, yeah, I've got I've got old machines in my house. Uh, like no, nothing in nothing in my house is, is all that new right now. But anyway, um, like if you are honest with yourself, a lot of people can get rid of that that ancient machine. Or, you know, maybe you've got one of those original minis and it's only going to ever run like Sierra or maybe high Sierra. I don't remember how old those how new those go. But like maybe an iPad is a viable option for you. And the case that you're talking about is the flip side of that, which is uh, I want to be able to do all of this stuff on my computer, you know, like. Um, I know you're talking about Photoshop, but like Lightroom, I know is available on iOS. And from people I know who spend a lot of time in Lightroom, Lightroom is a very viable tool on iOS. Does it do 100% of what you can do on your Mac? Of course not. But it does a whole lot. And when you think about putting that on, say, an iPad Pro, and maybe you hook that up to a nice 4K, 5K, 8K, I don't know how many Ks they're up to now monitor, um, (laughs) then you have a lot of options for for what you can do with that and the flexibility that that gives you. So I think this really comes back to the same question that a lot of people have been asking since iOS became a viable option in a number of ways. You know, we got the Files app. Even, you know, this this was a conversation that started well before even splitting off and having iOS and iPadOS, which is technological honesty. Do I have the right tool for the job? And like if you're mad that you need your computer for something, but you're not mad enough to go figure out how to do that thing on iOS, then I'm I'm disinclined to listen to oh, you I, complain about it. You know I what I mean? Do, like, I do get you on that, but then take it from another point of view that when Apple keep marketing, you know, the latest iPad is faster than a computer, faster than yes. those Windows laptops, and then yes. you, you tag into the price point, and then we get told that there's yet another ten percent increase in power, and it's fifty percent better on graphics, and you're going, okay, that's brilliant, but let me use it. I, th- yeah, I think that's where my frustration comes into it. Is that I well, think I think of... your I think your problem, Mark, is like most of the rest of us. You're an old school Mac user, and 
you're coming at it from the wrong end. Well, no, you know, not, you, think, if you, no not necessarily. You, I think Kelly's right, though, because you've, you've got to look at the thing. Years ago, many, many years ago, probably even before PowerPC, I remember people, you know, pe- spokespeople from Adobe or even Microsoft Office saying, look, in reality, 90% of customers only use 10% of the functions. I mean, Photoshop is huge. and well, I've the, been, Yeah, that was true back then. But if you well, look still now, true. And, I've been using... It's I've still been, true. I've been using <laughs> yeah. Photoshop since Photoshop version one, right? And although, you know, there are sections of Photoshop, which I know incredibly well it's a massive program with incredible amounts of uh, functions and there are areas of photoshop i have never opened ever ever mm-hmm. because they are of no use to me particularly some of the newer things you know you can do the um uh, you can do things like the pin animation where you can distort a, a you know an elephant's trunk by putting pins in the photograph and then bending the trunk into a new position there there's yeah. the 3d stuff there's the digital painting stuff that's nothing to do with what i why, do and, why and... shouldn't we be able to do that on a device that apple market is faster than a computer that's what i'm getting at i understand well, what you're all saying but when you the apple marketing is saying this is faster this is better and that you look at the apps and go yeah you've got all this power but the apps aren't there that's well, the point i, that I I'm, think many know, of the I'm apps are to. there i mean if you go and look at something like uh, you know affinity photo that's not quite feature uh comparative it's there it's there for certain section of the market if you want to do drawing that you're fine if you want to do basic podcast editing you're fine and yeah i know as kelly was saying you know there are ways to sort of work around things but i the 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 prop the problem with with apple is everybody hears them saying uh, the ipad's faster than faster than this faster than that what they're not hearing is what what the ipad can and cannot do uh, for what suits your uh, use purpose. And like you're saying, there's, there's some certain apps you cannot do things on, on the iPad. Uh, we, and that means you have to have a Mac to do it on. Um, whether that changes with the ARM-based uh, computers where um, you might be able to run Photoshop proper Photoshop uh, on mm-hmm. an iPad. We saw it. We saw I, it yesterday. I, I, well, we saw yesterday I, I, running on Apple Silicon, a, a full... Yeah. A full uh, version of Photoshop, so it is possible. Yeah, another way around is you can run LumaFusion on your MacBook yes. as a possibility. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the one guy got hold of me on Twitter, and he explained um, in a very basic sort of way, when I was sort of half drunk on a Friday evening, tried to take it all in and sound <laughs> a bit intellectual, that the reason we can't have the things like Photoshop and LumaFusion is due to the way that iOS handles in a, in a layman's way, and Robert Kelly will probably tell me I'm completely wrong, file storage, because you don't necessarily have a swap file Right. You allocate memory. Is that right, Kelly? No. And that's basically yes. it. So I think, but here's what I think. Um, and this is my uh, crackpot theory to go back to uh, the two I talk cast where I used to run a home for crackpot theories. Uh, the crazier it was, the more I liked it. And my theory about this is that the thing that everybody is so worried about with um, with the the iOSifying of mac os and like all of the wailing and gnashing of teeth that's going on around that right 
The thing that I think is going to happen is that because Apple is now putting all their own silicon in all their own devices, which means the watch, the Apple TV, the all of the desktop computers, all of the laptop computers, all of the phones, all of the iPads. What that means in practical terms to me is that some of the Mac OS, there, there may be some Macification of iOS, like better ways to manage file storage because nobody's going to buy an ARM computer that can't run Photoshop the way they've run Photoshop since version one, just like you. And nobody's going to buy a computer that can't do everything that they do with a Word document, with a spreadsheet, with all the kinds of stuff that everybody is doing on their computers today. They need to make it so that everything I do on this laptop right here, right now, is something that I can do if I buy a brand new computer that has Apple Silicon in it instead of Intel Silicon in it. And if they make that happen, then that if they can crack that nut for Mac OS, right, then that means if they can do it on an Apple A chip, whatever number it's got at the end, whatever letter it's got at the end, then they can do that on an iPad. And remember, it was only like not this last, not not the dub dub we're in the midst of now, like last year, I think is when we got iPad OS. So like the most development cycle it's really had is like one, maybe two cycles of development, right? So there's an excellent chance that part of what's going to come out of the ARM transition for the computer, for the, the desktop machines is and the, and the laptops but you know i have to draw a distinction somewhere very easily and the difference is going to be like maybe now you can run photoshop actual if you can run photoshop actual on the arm chip in a macbook why can't you run it on an arm chip in an ipad once they've got that instruction set under control maybe that means that ipad os will start picking up some mac features like better file management, better swap for memory when you've got a, a document open that's got a stack of layers in it and you've got something different happening in every one of them. And when you're pulling from multiple files, maybe iPad OS will be able to handle that. Maybe this goes all the way back to we had to bifurcate the operating system on our mobile devices because iPad OS is going to be, be able to take on a lot more. And, you know, at the time I remember saying, it sounds like Apple just finally figured out that people really want to use their iPads as computers instead and not as a lightweight computing mechanism but i want to be able yep, you know they yep, found please. out there were so many more people like federico vitici out there than just federico vitici like i think they figured out that he was not alone in the wilderness as i want my ipad to be my primary computer and you should see the number of gyrations i have to go through to make that happen i would like if that were less and i think apple is actually finally listening to people like federico who live and die on their iPads all the live long day and want to be able to turn that into a viable tool. And so my hope is that, that that what will happen is, you know, everybody's freaked out about icons. And yes, I think they're ugly and big, sir. I don't I, I think they're terrible. I don't like them. Not even a little bit. Um, it did seem, says it the did person on this be... podcast from a Mojave machine. So like, <laughs> I'm not who to ask. Right? I'm, but... glad, I'm glad you mentioned about the icons. I looked at them and it, it seems very. Um, iOS. Yeah. What, what does Steve Jobs call it? Lickable. They were all like shiny, Which, sticky, and sort of well, very. I, I, think... I always felt they were childish. I like the redesign in some aspects. I, but I think they're spready and weird, and all of them are square. And I don't, I don't like that because it's a thing that I don't like on iOS that I've never liked on iOS. Like once we were able to figure out the operating system, I didn't need them to all be big tiles on my screen anymore. So, and there's still big tiles on my screen that you can sort them into neat piles in iOS 14, and like that's lovely. But there's still a bunch of squares, and like the majority of them are still blue. And I, that I'm, I will be grumpy about that forever until they go. <laughs> you know what? 
Google Chrome with your little round icon, you can have a little round icon on iOS as well. Like that oh, would careful be... now. We've only, we've only just got picture in picture. Let's not push too far. I know. Uh, I, I know. I'm, I'm greedy. But this is. But anyway, <laughs> my original my original assessment stands. I think what what people are not necessarily looking at here is the opposite end of this, which is maybe the Mac OSification of iOS or specifically iPad OS is what's actually on the horizon, and that's going to be the thing that's going to end up being really magical with Apple designing all the hardware that goes into all of their devices. Well, I think they're obviously going to try and make them as coherent as possible from you know in a scalable os as it was all the way from the watch up aren't they yes you've got a group standard a, a sort of um a corporate image that's getting put through all the different operating systems so they all look familiar they all look um you know just as all, usable yeah, yeah they all work as much as possible the same yeah. way so you, you can uh, go from was, iphone to a mac and yeah be able to which work was both. You yeah. know, which was the Mac OS from from day one. One of the things about the Mac GUI, even in like System Six, was um, its big advantage was that all the apps worked the same way. Cut was always Apple X. Paste is always Apple V. Print is always Apple P, and so mm-hmm. on. Um, and if you weren't using computers, other computers back in those days you don't recall that you know on dos f12 was print in one program and you know it would be control alt p in something else and function seven in something else and all sorts everything was different and it was horrible every program you had to learn the thing with the mac the thing with the mac the mac gui was it said right let's get Let's get a zeitgeist here. And, and Windows basically copied it and went, okay, well, we'll use Control-P and Control-X. But at, from that point on, a, a, a lexicon of computer language began to develop where it didn't matter. You could go on a Windows machine and as long as you knew what the, you know, the meta key was, it P was going to be print, not F12, yeah. not F7, not some weird key combo. And so... Apple have been pushing that from their very beginning of the Mac OS. So they're going to want a coherent uh, UI and a UX as much as possible across the whole thing. So uh, the other thing I thought that will probably scare the bejesus out of a lot of old-time Mac users was that Finder that Craig brought up looked incredibly iOS. But I bet you, you take away the leery background he had in the background, you know, on the desktop, and you put you down something... You talk about notifications or Finder? Well, the Finder. In the Finder, you know, he had a really leery iOS-type desktop, didn't he? You know, it was red and yellow and pink and whatnot. If you, right. Like right. most people on their desktops tend to go on the whole for something far more muted, far more um, subtle, so that it doesn't was that clash. Just, not just a visual... No, of course it just was. to make it more visually appealing for yeah, the, the keynote rather than practical yeah, use. It's not for, I'm saying, but that Aye. was what made it look far more iOS to a lot of people. Right, okay. Probably. I, don't know, I, don't, I don't necessarily agree. I think the background wallpaper, yes, it did look like a background wallpaper you would get on um, iOS and iPadOS. But I think the thing was, there was like things like some of the buttons and some of the dialogues, dialogue boxes just 
maybe it's going to take a case of adjustment, but they just look too big and too tappable. And I could see a time, and I know I was joking about this earlier on, that you know, you're there trying to do some support work and you're going to get people instinctively going out and tapping the screen. And then, so you've got to train people there. Well, no, you can't touch your screen. This is a Mac. You touch your iPad. So I just think some of the sliders were a bit too big, and I think some of them were. But those, don't you think those things tend to tone down? Like over they've time? oversimplified some aspects of the OS to make it look more of a, a combination but, of Mac OS and iPad yeah, OS. But what I'm I saying, think, Mark, I think where that gives an advantage to is people who are visually impaired. Um, you've got bigger buttons; it's much cleaner, less confusing. Uh, in that sense, it's quite quite good, but it's also good for anybody else. It's it's, it's just a simpler, cleaner look. But yeah, I, I know where you're coming from. Um, but you know that's but it's a wee bit like not down. even it's not even really beta I mean, one yet, is it? This so is the thing, is it? It's customer when, when feedback. You look at the Mac the OS, it's quite a shift and looking at it and going, oh, I've seen it on the iPad and seen it on the iPad. Mm-hmm. And not to have that panic, like as we've just had the discussion about the things I can't do on the iPad and everybody knows that you can't do it on the iPad. But I did like the way that Apple conversely made it look a bit iOS-y, but then went straight in and they were, you know, they showed like Microsoft Word working, Excel working, mm-hmm. Photoshop, Final Cut. Uh, and then they even dropped a big one, and we've even focused on gaming or something to that effect. And they have yeah. Tomb Runner running. Now, I'm thinking that the Tomb Runner thing would work because it is running, uh, I believe, and Kelly, you'll probably know, well, probably, it's obviously you know more than me. Um, it's basically a PC binary wrapped in a wine wrapper. And so getting that to run natively on ARM with a Linux uh, underpinning wouldn't be that hard, I wouldn't think. But it was good to see a game mm-hmm. running on that hardware. It's just that we don't know how much that hardware is going to cost. Well, well, there's a lot of things we don't know about it, right? Like, we don't know how many... Honestly, we don't know how many game developers are going to be interested in coming to the Mac, right? Like, you know, the the easy thing to say, right, is, oh, at last, Angry Birds on my computer, right? Because everybody wants to play Angry Birds on their 27-inch iMac. Um <laughs> You know, I think there's there's a whole lot of unknowns in this. Like, who's going to determine that it's a viable platform to develop on, that it's a viable platform because people who have it are going to pay for those games, and on and on and on. Like, there's so much that goes into that anyway. So unless you're already somebody developing, you know, like, the, the biggest thing I think you're going to find is is whether or not Steam shows up on the new hardware or whether they're going to just, you know, call it a day with with Intel machines. And once you're not on an Intel machine anymore, you don't have Steam. Congratulations, go buy yourself a PS5, right? So I think there's going to be some sort of pain and suffering there. But honestly, the weirdest thing to me in that in that demo was starting with Word. Like, yeah. we not never pages, see that. Not numbers, not keynote. Yeah, they were like, oh, by the way, all of the Apple Office stuff still works and it's going to come in new versions and it's going to be great. But let's show you Word even. Then they did show Photoshop, like I said before. But they started with Office. And that, to me, was very surprising because I still remember the Mac world where they got Bill Gates on the screen and Bill Gates was going to and Microsoft was was kicking in a bunch of money to Apple, right? Like 150 million bucks or something. Um, And like the booze that Mm -hmm. got like, Mm -hmm. you know, he showed up on the screen and like there were practically people pulling out pitchforks in the room there where he (laughs) showed up on the screen. And so to go from that to 
the very first thing we are going to show you as a practical app demonstration on the brand new hardware that Apple is designing itself is Microsoft Office. Native <laughs> Office, not the yeah. uh, emulating version on the iPad because it's oh. iOS, not the iOS version, but no, the full a full office. on computer grade, desktop grade version of Windows of, of Office that is running on this brand new version of macOS. Well, that, that that shows you how much things have changed between Apple and Microsoft. Precisely. Yeah, there's a, there's a completely different uh, mindset with both companies, um, and people use Word at uh, work, so it's good to have the full system on your Mac at home when you want to do work from home. Well, it, um, it demonstrates what Kelly said, wasn't it? People yeah. want to know that when they buy this ARM computer, you're buying an ARM computer. You're not buying uh, a tablet and it's really it is really good to see that and conversely i hope we do see more features like um word coming to the ipad where i can do a little bit more and i can um i can't remember what the constraints are but to see fuller richer apps would be absolutely amazing i would be so interested to know what else was in that uh in that mac mini because they can i'm the skeptic in me says they're running tomb raider and for me it looks like the graphic options were pumped up. It was, um, did they have it ready on the screen or was it a demo? I can't remember. I, I can't But recall. it had all the reflections there. It looked well, to be doing a decent job. And the monitor that they had hooked up to this, whatever dev kit there was, that was a 4K um, ProRes yeah. monitor thing. Yeah, there's, a, there's, a new, um, there's something new came out with gaming, which gives such high quality details, your reflections and water and all that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, so it's probably running that. It's just newly announced, I think. Um, and now the question was, what kind of Mac was it running on? It was probably running on a Mac Pro. Will it work the same way with a lesser model of ARM-based computer? And also, right. uh, one of the big things is, is you've got this ARM Mac. What do you replace in the existing Mac lineup? Because you're going to have Intel Macs, you've got the iPad, which is the which is as Apple say your next computer. If uh-huh. you're dropping a, a new machine, where where does it fit in in the line? And more interesting is a thought experiment. So what about the be price? a new line, completely new line? I would think because it'll, it'll be getting sold along with uh, Intel Macs, so it'll be a new product. I would think. What about you, Kenny? Where where do you see this new Mac going in? Do you like as Jim said, do you see it as a whole new product range or as a replacement for I don't know, the Mac Mini? Well, I think it would be odd to replace the Mini, which has, has a recent update, right? Um and it it would be odd to go with, let's say, the 13-inch MacBook Pro, because that's far and away the most the the I would say sales leader I guess of uh, the the current computer product line, right? They're selling far and away more more laptops than anything, and specifically the 13 inch Pro more than anything. Even I mean the Air got a new update and it's a really high powered machine now, so that could be overtaking that. But it's still like a 13 inch laptop is Apple's bread and butter, so I don't think they're going to start there either, because just because of the scale of that sort of production rate. So this could be. Uh, one of uh, one of two things, I think, and uh, we could just get the sort of 2.0 of the developer kit mini, like whatever it is officially going to ship with. You know, they've already figured out how to put all that hardware in a mini in the first place. So maybe we get a new mini with that. That seems sort of unlikely. Um, but when you look at the the product line, it seems like what has been waiting for an update the longest is the the iMac Pro. 
So Dude. maybe the new iMac Pro is the ARM the ARM machine. And the reason they can do that is because a whole lot of people aren't going to pay five grand for a computer. So it's not like they have to worry about production scaling like on a physical manufacturing you know, view. Like they don't have to worry about like being able to make bajillions of them at a time, you know, at least at first until they can ramp up to where they get to 13 inch MacBook Pro levels. But also we have a pro machine with our own hardware in it feels very Apple-y to me. That feels like a very Apple move to go. It's an iMac Pro and it does everything that you need it to do. And, you know, it's a screaming machine with unbelievable horsepower. And it comes in that space gray that everybody was so excited about when the iMac Pro dropped. And we're going to do, you know, we're going to do this because it's the machine that maybe is the smallest piece of the lineup. And so we know we can do that reliably. And also it says Pro right in the name. And it's our chips. Like you don't need an Intel chip to do everything that you need to do with an iMac Pro. Here's my idea of what you might see. Um, a Mac OS based iPad with detachable keyboard, touchscreen, in other words, a surface-based, you know, surface-style computer running Mac OS, or it could switch over to iOS. With this, you know, how about that? So you mean like the Microsoft Surface? Like a microsurface, it gives you both the touchscreen capability to work as a tablet mm. and so on, but it gives you the power of a Mac uh, Well, that's desktop. the iPad now, isn't it? Really? No. Hmm? I mean, we have that with the iPad now. No, no, no. You can't run up Mac OS in the iPads. And you're never going to. <laughs> I'm sorry well, to disappoint. With, with ARM-based computing, you <laughs> might be able to. Well, yeah. I live in hope. Maybe, <laughs> but I, I, I don't think it's likely. I'll say that. It's, it's going to be a very interesting marketing challenge because when they said, you know, this has got the same processor in your iPad, but look what we can do when, I suppose in a roundabout way, they said lift the thermal limits and really let it go. I think that's going to be the marketing challenge again when you like you've got the choice of device if to say do I want a desktop I can do everything on or do I want something more portable but that's got the same power but I can't do everything on it well, unless they've got a really big plan for that's that. why that's why I feel a lot of professors could could you know would love to have uh the power of a Mac Pro and a mm -hmm. portable device like an iPad uh big screen you know, 11, 12 inch screen, uh, maybe even bigger. They've got a de detachable keyboard. It's much more portable. It's got lots of power. It can run cool because it's an ARM based computer. It's always on, connected. Um, you have the ideal portable uh, computer for a professional. That's an, either an iPad Pro or a 13 inch MacBook. Like those things already exist, except for the detachable keyboard on the laptop. Like you can still do that because if you are portable and on the go like obviously your needs are different than they're going to be at your desk where you're plugged into an external monitor and an external keyboard and all of that so i yeah. think they've i think they've gotten as close as they're going to get to that and part of the reason for that is i feel like windows went through a couple of really just terrible iterations before it got to the point where it is now which still is not a good place with the touchscreen piece like I feel like part of the reason that macOS and iOS need to remain separate is because the interaction mechanisms for them by oh, default definitely. is separate. Because yeah. if you have an iPad, there's no keyboard attached by default. Like out of the box, a laptop comes with a keyboard attached and a trackpad attached. And out of the box, an iOS device, you know, an iPhone or an iPad does not. And the 
the way that you interact with something that has a keyboard attached versus not is a fundamentally different interface. And I don't want Apple to cross those streams ever because it's a terrible experience on Windows. And I don't know how it gets better by letting Apple try to do the same thing. It's not right. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. Maybe I'm just too old school and set in my ways, but like, I never want to put my fingers on my laptop screen and I rarely want to hook. You know, I generally don't want to hook a keyboard to my iPad just for general use. If I'm sitting in a conference and taking notes, yes, I want to touch type on a physical device because I'm uh, I'm over 100 words a minute on that little external keyboard where I can feel the physical keys. But that's that's a very different conversation. And by default, like I don't want to put my fingers on my iMac. I don't want to put my fingers on my laptop. I just don't. And that's yeah. for me, but, that's not going to change. But the reason why I'm saying what I've been saying, I haven't done for some time, is, you know, to do that, you have to have two devices. You either have the iPad or you have the Mac. Uh, if you combine the two into one unit, you have a much more uh, portable, productive device. You have the power of Mac OS and a portable device. Which you, Okay, you have a laptop, but the keyboard is not de detachable. You can't separate the two and use it right. for one set of product productivity and then take it away, connect it to the keyboard, you've got it. I mean, the likes of, you could add you know, uh, peripherals uh, to it at home um, and gives you a, you know, the full Mac experience, but you can take it away with you and have a Mac that's portable. Well, we need, need to wait and see what Apple's got in, in mind anyway, because, um, well, I think the first ARM-based ones we'll see is the end of this year. I think they were talking about there's going to be yeah. something coming out. But to see what the future holds... Be... There will still be an, another wave of Intel machines. He even casually yeah. mentioned at the end, like we have Intel machines we haven't even shown you yet. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. I think part of the issue with that, in in my estimation, is that the current MacBook Pro, because I'm I'm in the market for a new computer. I told you all my machines at my house are old. I would like to get a new one. I have um until basically I wasn't in the market until they fixed the keyboard. So I've been clinging to mine a lot longer than I wanted to. And the difference between the, um, the early 15 MacBook that I use now and a new 13 inch pro uh, Mac, I have a, 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 an early 15 MacBook pro and the current iteration of the MacBook pro um, the weight in them is dramatically different. Uh, the the capability is dramatically different. Like the Touch ID difference is massive. Like from a day to day perspective, on you know using that machine, there's a whole lot of difference just in that amount of iteration. The new one is so light. Mm. The new one is is portable. The battery life on it. Like I have a friend who has one, and the the battery life even on like the 16 inch. You want a great big screen? Go get the new 16 inch MacBook Pro. And it's delightful. And the battery is super great. Like I have a friend who does a lot of, um, obviously less now, but in the before times, did a lot of on-site client work. Like I go from place to place, you know, I put my computer in my backpack at my house in the morning. I go out, I do all the stuff I need to do during the day at all these different places throughout the city, right? And then I come home again at night and plug my laptop into charge. And for the most part, doesn't end up having a battery issue and is doing in some cases, not not audio editing, not video editing, but reasonably intensive stuff. Never is an issue with the battery. The screen is beautiful. The Touch ID keeps things relatively secure, right? If you've got a good password set up behind it. So there's already the portable device that runs Mac OS that gets around a lot of the issues that there used to be. Like my MacBook is heavy. My MacBook doesn't last all day. My Mac, my laptop, 
you know, my laptop, whatever. Like you, it is to this. It is not enough that. Like they've solved an awful lot of those problems with the current generation of machines that we have. Whether you're, whether you like a 13 inch flavor or a 16 inch flavor, there's a flavor for you. And I think part of that has to do with. Uh, some of the fundamental limitations of iOS, and so we needed to make sure we could give you a laptop that was easily as that was just as portable. And I feel like they've they've more or less done that. Yeah, I think I think if you if you what I've read about the various Macs, uh, MacBooks, the 69 seems to be the best one out of the out of the lot for yeah what you need it for. Um, it's certainly quite an impressive device. Um, yeah, if you just need horsepower, the 16 inch yeah. is where to go. <laughs> yeah. I tell you what. I'm going to backtrack a little bit here because Kelly, Kelly was suggesting the iMac Pro as the first ARM machine. Now, uh-huh. I'm, going to, I'm going to throw something in the, you know, I'm going to chuck a brick in the pond. Spine the looks. Where, see, no, you know, a, br- a brick in the pond, see where the ripples go. I think one of the reasons they started was Office, okay, is to say if you go and buy one of these, right, because that is, let's face it, for 90% of people working on a computer, um, Office is one of their biggest applications. So they started with that to say, look, if you go out and buy one of these, you're not going to get burned. You are going to be able to run, you know, your corporate office environment. And how about part of that is to say, okay, we'll leave the laptops alone for now and come out with a new Apple Silicon iMac. Let's face it, the iMac is well, well overdue for for a refresh. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Not the Pro, because, okay. the, but the, the main, if you like, I know it doesn't sell anywhere near as much as the laptops, but what is, for many people, the Office Mac. You get a decent-sized right. screen, you get a, a keyboard, you get a mouse. That, uh-huh. again, is not, you know, the biggest market portion, but it's big enough to push it out into a big slice of offices. I could see a lot of, let's face it, uh, you know, when the iMacs, launched a lot of places started to buy Macs for people who didn't really need Macs just because an iMac looks a hell of a lot nicer on a receptionist desk than an ugly Windows tower now not all Mm -hmm. Windows not all Windows boxes are ugly don't you know I'm not doing that as a generic slur but Ah. but the all-in-one iMac made a big and you saw it on the TV all the time in offices yeah, it, you you saw it well, in because it happens sorts. to be a beautiful monitor that oh exactly. by the way has an entire computer strapped to the back exactly, but that meant it then percolated from that into an awful lot. It started off with people who got posh offices and wanted to have nice looking computers, mm-hmm. so the iMac is quintessentially the office Mac. Mm-hmm. Um, that, now, that's just, I would... just a thought from you know that's, that's... my. I think that's Possibly. interesting, but let me let me counterpoint your your brick with a brick of my own. They're gonna start with the mini because for all the same reasons that Steve said the mini was a good idea in the first place. You can get a completely new machine, but you still get to use your same monitor and your same keyboard and your same mouse and whatever that setup is. Literally, the only part that's gonna change is the part you can't see, which is the Mac and. You know, he was trying to do it from a Windows machine. You know, the transition is going to be so smooth. All the other hardware that you have is going to be your own, right? Remember, it was bring your own KVM, mm. bring your mm. own keyboard, keyboard mouse, keyboard mouse and monitor, Yo, and it was bring much. your own, bring your own stuff. And like, we will make the we will make the transition from Windows as easy as possible. And I think the the, the mini 
being a super versatile machine, I am a huge fan of the Mini, I'm here to tell you. Um, I think this could be the same thing. We are going to make the transition from Intel as easy as possible because you get to use your same keyboard and your same trackpad or mouse, whatever you've got, trackball, and your same monitor and everything's going to be fine because you can plug all of that stuff into your new computer and you're not even really going to notice the difference. There is that, but I think the large majority of Office Mac users are using an iMac. So that would kind of blow a bit of a hole in that. The, I, yeah, I could see the Mac Mini being the first ARM machine for a completely different reason, and that was would be if they could pitch it low enough, they could say, go out, buy a Mini, test the water of an Apple Silicon machine and prove to yourself that you are not going to get burned. And mm-hmm. a, a lot of Mac geeks would probably go out and buy one without replacing their existing Intel Mac because then they would be able to have, they could compare and contrast and play and experiment mm. and find out what it's like. And if you if you can do that with enough influencers, you are going mm-hmm. to get people saying, you know what, I've pretty much abandoned my 27-inch 2019 iMac for the mm-hmm. Apple Silicon Mini because of XYZ. Um and I but don't that's know. It's only going to work if they. Go, that's only that only works if they go back to it being a a, a three or four hundred dollar, like a four. I, I guess it wasn't three hundred when it started. That only works if it goes back to being a very very inexpensive machine because I think the first ones were like four hundred dollars. Yeah, or maybe yeah, four ninety nine. So it's not going to get you. It's not going to get you anywhere if. Oh yeah, you can just buy this other machine on the side if it's still a thousand dollar machine. No. It's so not. if they're going to do this with an ARM chip, then they're going to have to, if, if they're going to make that kind of offer on a mini, then it needs to go back to being an auxiliary, an auxiliary priced machine, as well as being the machine that is available to you. Well, you I'm pretty know. sure so it's up to your monitor and everything and it's fine. Isn't the starter uh-huh. kit, isn't the developer starter kit being, I know it's, you know, no doubt subsidized slightly, but aren't they pushing that out for a $500 um, deposit? Yes, but it's a rental. But you have to give it back. You do. But they charged a thousand dollars for the original Intel developer kit, which was basically a PC and a G five case. Yes, but, when, but you got to keep that. No, you you didn't get to keep that. You had to hand it back. Oh. When when the developers oh. handed them back, a lot, <laughs> when the developers handed I, them back, I know they, people who did, which is why I'm surprised by right, that well, statement. Okay. When, but I when, think you get a thousand dollars for it when you hand it and you trade it back. And... Well, it was a deposit, and I think you'll find what actually yeah. happened was when when developers gave back their uh, G5 cased Intel Mac developer machines, they mm. were given um, a first iteration Intel iMac in exchange as a gift. All or, right. So I, I would be, I would be for that plan. Um, I, I hope, I hope that it's something like that, that actually, that actually works in people's favor to be, you know, the test folks for this, for this particular device. I'm sure I read somewhere that uh, if you get the, the the mini with the developer kit in it, uh, you can trade it in at the end and get a thousand pounds against a new computer. I'm sure I read that yesterday. Uh, well, I think people are. I've seen people kind of mixing and matching. It was a thousand dollars for the Intel change, and I'm pretty sure they're working on five hundred dollars for this one. But mm. be that, and you know, it is a rental. You're paying five hundred deposit. You know, whether or not you get the money back or not, I don't know. Whether Apple mm-hmm. will do the same and give you another machine in exchange at the end, I don't know. It's just something that, you know, came to my mind. The other thing, backtracking even further, the thing about universal binaries and looking backwards and seeing a stepping stone is 
that the old universal binaries that we used to get in that in, you know in the olden times were fat binaries they literally contained both sets of code but some yeah. time ago apple said on their mac store uh not the mac store on the uh, on the app store that they introduced the idea that um developers could write uh an app and it could contain code for the iphone and the ipad and when you downloaded it, the store would intelligently know which version you needed and only send you the code required for that platform. Yes. Mm-hmm. Now, if you extend that to the new universal binaries that we're talking about and what yep. you were talking about earlier, the ability to have different versions on different platforms, you could have that. You could have a universal binary. And when you buy from the App Store, which might merge into just being the Apple App Store, you mm-hmm. you know you purchase a product, and the store intelligently detects what you want to download it onto, and gives you that version. No extra code, no extra gump yep. filling up your stuff. And that I can see that being you know in hindsight, you can see that as a stepping stone moving to where they want to get. Um, yeah. And is I think it... there's a certain percentage of that. Like, if we go back and look, there are a lot of things that Apple has done over time that have made this possible. Whether they did it for that reason is a different conversation. Uh, yeah. But I think, the I fact think that, did. but the fact that, like, you're talking about, you know, which version, if you have an iPhone version and an iPad version, you upload them both and the store figures out which one goes to the hardware that you're on at the moment. All of that, it makes the kinds of things we want to do now possible. Yes. I mean, um, did you read the piece? Uh, well, there were two pieces, actually. Uh, Stephen Sinofsky wrote a piece about, you know, the likelihood of uh, Apple going to, uh, you know, custom silicon or ARM, as people were calling it, then just before yeah. WWDC. And then um, I think it was either this morning or late last night, he posted a piece talking about how Apple are different from Microsoft in that they plan years ahead and they laser focus on how do we get there and sometimes it's only in hindsight you can join the dots up as steve himself famously said you know sometimes it's only looking back you can join the dots right and And like i'm not saying that they didn't do the i the i the iphone ipad versions of apps (laughs) like I'm i'm not saying that's not that may not have been part of it but you know, that is absolutely something that paves the way for making this transition possible now. And, you know, it's it's been sort of interesting because a couple of years ago we had 32-bit apocalypse on iOS. Uh, I thought it was interesting it came to iOS first instead of macOS. And now with, with Catalina, we have 32-bit apocalypse on, on macOS. And, you know, to compare it to Microsoft, like you're talking about, um, you can still get a computer today with a 32-bit version of Windows installed. You can indeed. And uh, as Steven Sinofsky was saying, and something um, Nick mentioned on this show uh, when we were talking last week to Carolina Milanese, Microsoft have a completely different strategy and a con- completely different worldview. And they have they are tied to huge numbers of large enterprise clients. And that is both a blessing and a millstone <laughs> around their neck at the same time because they have these huge clients who are tied to them and are feeding them vast sums of money. But at the same time, they are shackled to all sorts of legacy stuff that they cannot or will not let go of because right. uh, because of these clients who say, yeah, but we need 32-bit compatibility and we need the ability to run stuff on NT kernels and 
and yep. they're shackled to that. And um, I've read in various places that, you know, several times people inside Microsoft have attempted to reboot Windows in the same way as, you know, Apple completely said, right, we're going to, you know, have a new OS from the ground up. And we're going to call it OS 10 and it's going to be completely different and completely new and chuck all the old legacy stuff away. And if you're not with us, sorry, you're out on the street. We'll um, miss you. Yeah. Yeah. But whenever that's kind of been proposed in Microsoft, it's either been shot down in flames or over time killed <laughs> with the death of a thousand cuts. Uh, there you go. You know, um, oh, certainly. Like I absolutely believe that. And I think, you know, part of that is, you know, economies of scale. Like they have thousands and thousands and thousands of people like go look up Internet Explorer 6 sometimes, you know, and look at the stories there about how hard they have tried to get it to go away. And it's the thing that won't die because of all the places that rely on whatever technology there is in IE6 that, you know, they shouldn't be relying on, but will not move from. Yeah. You know, like we see it, we see it constantly. We do. Um, the other thing I I thought I'd mention, and this is a to in, in many ways very trivial, but the the Mac um, icons. Did anybody notice a kind of uh, a slight return of skewomorphism there, a sort of pseudo skewomorphism creeping back in? Flat is no longer the new cool. Um, I don't really see anything. Where, where do you mean? Well, for example, well, if you look at dark in the icons, because I think this is the first time we've seen a guy almost do a very Johnny esque style bit of voiceover in on the video. The 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 chap near the end, whose name I've, I've sadly forgotten. Well, to Jim's question, if you if you go back and look at the app icons on on the Mac, hmm. for example, Finder uh, now has you know chamfered sort of beveled edges with with yep. a bit of colouring on them. Uh, Xtool, you know, Xcode has the blueprint, but the hammer has returned to being a like photorealistic hammer. Um, the Safari oh. icon yep. has no longer gone; is no longer completely flat, but there are shadows under the bezel and under the the you know the the pointer to just give it a, not full nice. not fully skeuomorphic like the the old you know the, iOS the and ones, but they're you know, more, mm. more depth. I mean, they even said where depth and transparency is used to indicate hierarchy. Does anybody yep. remember somebody saying that some time ago? Back in iOS 7, Johnny himself said where when... depth, transparency and movement is used to indicate hierarchical depth. The, 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 the probably, um, I mean, they went too far with Johnny's design. They went far too plain and too clean to the point where it was hard to see things on uh, some of the, the backgrounds. Yes. Um, so that they're going the opposite direction again, I suppose. Well, I, I mean... Um, they're, they're, they're trying to make it more sexy, including calling it Big Sur. It's yeah, fashion. like a porn film. <laughs> <laughs> I must admit, Big Sur, it was like... Oh my God! What have you done? Really, Monterey would have been quite good, but maybe people in California know where Big Sur is, but I have no idea. <laughs> At least most people had some idea where you know Catalina, what Catalina is, or or even Mavericks or El Capitan. I, I don't know. I mean, people get used to it. People get used to everything. But I can also see a lot of people not actually referring to it as Big Sur and just calling it Ten Sixteen. Well, well actually, the actually screenshots say 11. Yeah, the screenshots say 11, even though the beta download is, is 1016. 
Uh, the screenshots we saw both in the keynote and in the State of the Union say 11.0. And that was a great time to start forsaking the California landmark names, yeah. which would have mm. been great. And especially because if you're moving to 11, do you really want BS to be the initials for the thing that you just did? <laughs> I hadn't thought of that one. Like, yeah, well, great. apparently nobody in Cupertino did either because... Hi. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, if they call it 11, yes, then really, when would you think of, you know, it, it, you're having a tectonic shift. Now would have been a time right. to drop the drop the California names and, and go either with something else or just drop it altogether and just call right. it 11, you know, and be done with it. But there we are. Um, apart from being more colourful and a wee bit less uh, flat, um, what what are your thoughts of uh, iOS 11? iOS. OS Mac 11. I'm getting um, all confused here. I, I like the look of it. How much of it will only work on, you know, Apple Silicon? I don't know. They're saying it's going to be identical on both. It's hard to tell from that keynote. I suspect, other than the shock of the new, which is in many ways the same as the shock of iOS 7 after the previous era yeah. of, of full, you know, skewamorphism. Um, I think once people get used to the fact that underneath it still works basically the same, I think people will forget about it. And like some of the things you were saying earlier, you know, like the like the slider buttons looking a bit big and whatnot, you know, you're only on like the last alpha or the first beta Mm. Many things like that refine yeah. over the course of the betas. If the beta testers like me send back and, you know, oh, my God, those buttons, why do they need to be so huge? They take up a quarter of my laptop screen. Right. They'll, get, they'll get refined down. And if they don't get refined down in, in this iteration, you know, next year, they'll be shrinking the buttons and saying, customers say the buttons were too big and too... Look at the Aqua interface. Over time, that... <laughs> that mm. You know, that originally was really glaringly glassy, shiny, lollipop oh, kind yeah. of effect. And by the end of the Aqua era, it was still Aqua, but it was way, way toned down from the original version. The, 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 only, thing, the only thing I saw about uh, Big Sur was uh, the changes to Safari, you know, much, much more secure. And apparently supposed to be a lot faster as well. And hopefully it's a it's a much less poor org as well. But uh, other than that, I, I haven't seen anything really anything exciting on it. But possibly what it, what it will do is it'll make me move up to Big Sur because I think my computer's the last. It's on the last. You know, I think um, my MacBook Pro 2013 model is still able to take it. Um, it might encourage me to install it rather than Yosemite, which I haven't done. Well, there you go. I mean, I as long I've got the same machine as you, Jim, and mm. if, if I can take it, then I'll be I'll be going with it because I like to live out on the bleeding edge, as you know. And I, as soon no. as the public beta is there, I'm I'm on it. Hell, you know, and Quite damn the torpedoes. <laughs> one one quick thought here. So we we've got these new R Macs. When someone I'm going to try and phrase this so I don't sound like I'm old. But when someone goes in and says, um, I want to buy a Mac, I've heard about these new ones, how fast are they? How are they going to do that? Because obviously you can't do the thing of gigahertz, gigahertz processing. Like they'll raw. be going, well, it'll be, for, for the nerds, it's all going to be Geekbench, isn't it? And for real world people, it's, look, here you go. If we encode this 4K video, 
on an Intel machine and it takes two minutes and we can do it on this, you know, new Apple Silicon one in 30 seconds. That's, yep. that's what people care. That's, that's, you reckon that's, that they'll phase out saying um, processor, processor speed and give more relative benchmarks, like saying you can yep. render a file. I mean, let's things. face it. They already have. To a large extent, we they don't have. Get those ki- we don't get those kind of numbers for an iPhone or an iPad when they put those out. They yeah. don't even tell us yeah, how much yeah. RAM is yeah. in those. So this is already a thing that people are very much accustomed to. If I want the newest phone, the latest phone, the biggest phone, the fastest phone, like whatever adjective it is that you want to use, somebody will tell you, well, this is the newest phone. This is the biggest phone, right? So you can get those kinds of things already that like Apple never gave us any officially, Apple never gave us any of that information in the first place. So, you know, you can go find out how much RAM is in your phone if you want to know, but you have to go to someplace like iPhone Arena or, you know, iFixit that tore it down and says like, here's all the, here's all the the technology that we found inside your phone. So we've already stopped having this conversation. And by and large, now that, uh, the innovation on the hardware and, you know, uh, like Moore's law is not 18 months anymore. Like it used to be where, uh, wasn't it, uh, speeds will double and prices will have every 18 months or something like that. And that's yeah, simply profit line, not for us buying them. <laughs> well, no, no, no. I mean, like this was on the PC side, but, but like, because the innovation was, was fast and furious with how fast you could get the computer's processor to be and all that. Like, remember in the olden days when hardcore gamers had to go buy a new graphics card every six months because the new one was twice as fast as the old one? Exactly that. None of that stuff is happening anymore. It's not the rate, it's not the megahertz race that we used to have. And, you know, it's, it's sort of turned into a thing like megapixels. Like, it's a good thing to know about your camera or about the image that you're making, but it's not the requirement, you know, like it's not like, Oh, well I have an 11 megapixel camera. Clearly I must upgrade to the 12 megapixel camera, right? Like nobody cares. Like, can I, can I do what I want to do with the picture that I'm taking? And that's really all the, you know, that's, that's the part that counts. And, you know, so we've done this with iOS because, you know, nobody knows what the processor is in their phone. Nobody knows what the processor is in their iPad. When people go in and talk to somebody, whether it's at Best Buy or it's at um, an Apple store or, you know, they just go online and start looking around like there, you know, you can tell what it is that you that you want to get. Like, you know, I don't need any fancy stuff. I'm not really ever going to use a pencil. I don't need all the the face ID stuff so I can get the three hundred dollar iPad and be totally happy. OK, I'm done. I can go home. Right. Or, you know, you walk into a cell phone store and go, hi, um, you know, I have an iPhone 5S and I feel like it's time to upgrade. OK, let me take to take you over here and show you what the phones look like now. And a lot of people are not making that decision based on megahertz. They're making it based on budget. They're making it based on use case, you know, whatever. So there, there's a whole lot of conversations around technology now that never have the processor enter into it or the RAM enter into it, you know, and all that matters is like, how many pictures can I keep on my phone at the same time? And yeah, you know, they, I suppose they have been doing that, haven't they? Now I think back, it's the, the whole thing. They've always said, this is faster than a Windows computer. This is faster right. than a thing. So, yeah, I, I had, had a bit of a memory fog. Well, on the, other, the, other, the other thing is, even now, you know, since the, you know, the adoption of multi-core uh, CPUs, um, yes. the, the, the whole megahertz thing is no longer necessarily relevant because if you do go and look at the, at the tech specs of um, certain machines, you'll see, mm-hmm. well, this one's running at 3 megahertz and has two cores, but this one only runs at 1.8 gigahertz, right? But it's got yeah. 
but it's got two, you know, two primary cores and two uh, power efficient cores. Not low speed, but that's what they are. Let's face it. Um, right. But it doesn't matter because it now it becomes about how you manage the cores and do you have, you know, you've got high performance cores and you've got energy efficient cores and intelligent yeah. switching and multi threading and all this stuff and that is what gives you the performance. So Geekbench right. is Geekbench is still a bit of a sledgehammer, but at the same time, it gives you. If you really care about that, that's the, about the only thing you can really mm -hmm. use to get some right. rendering of... times on Final but... Cut. That'll make me happy. Yeah, yeah exactly. so practical, like something with a practical application. So, you know, if I want to know how much improvement I'm going to get out of this machine, then it needs to be a thing like I'm an audio editor. And, you know, currently when I export my audio, my hour of audio, it takes me four minutes to sit exactly. there and stare at the screen for four minutes to, to export my my audio from logic to w format right and then so i can go you know what that that four minutes i can get that down to 45 seconds with this new arm mac is going to be just shut up and take my money exactly that's that's what people care about the, right. the kind of um the practical application of it if you can give me the use case that's all that that's the part that anybody wants right now and that's, anymore because we've got away from that yeah you know it's like the the latest um, the 13 inch MacBooks. Effectively, there are two types. There's the eighth gen chip and the tenth gen chip that yes. you can you, you can buy. And you know they run at a variety of different speeds and have a, a different mix of cores. So in reality, the best way to say, do I really need to pay the extra for the ten? Or you know, a lot of people just buy the tenth gen because it's the newest, shiniest one and it's going to be the most future proof. But other people were going to look at it and say, do I really need to spend that extra? What is the actual real world time performance difference? Like, And to your example, if you're, if you're doing exporting that audio that takes four minutes, if you're doing that eight times a day, every day, yes. then you care. If you do that once a week, then you probably don't care quite as much. You care slightly less, yes. Yeah, of course you <laughs> care. You care that you don't have to look, sit and look at your Mac for four yeah. minutes. If you can do it in one minute, great. But if the difference between this machine is that will do it in one minute and that one will do it in one minute, 30 seconds, if you're only doing it once a week, then you could probably say, well, I don't think I need to spend that extra $1,000. You know? right. I, I can live with that. And the, these are the things that people are now using to weigh up the technology they buy not the raw and yeah back in the day you know a 25 megahertz chip was faster than a 18 megahertz chip or whatever but it, that's not how it works anymore that's it, there are so many other factors so i think we've moved away from that altogether and i think yes. apple will market it the same way as they market their ios devices look at the real world performance that's that's what matters I think one final question, because I know Kelly's got a hard day in about 10 minutes. What about, uh, do you want to take a guess, Kelly, on what you think the pricing of the first Apple Silicon device might be? I, I am absolutely guessing, and this is more hope than expectation, and uh, that we come in at $4.99 so that people will adopt them, so that it, it's something Ooh. people are excited about. Uh, $4.99 or $5.99, so that it, A, is a new machine that people want and can afford B so that it makes a good auxiliary machine for people where this is not going to be their main computer, right? So um, 
you know, I do all of my actual work on computer A, but I would like to have a computer B as a test for the stuff that I, I you know, wish to be doing in the future. And I see, I, I, would, I would have gone, I'm going $2,000 for the first one. I, well, well, I think it, it depends on which one they go the with. Mini, yeah. If it's the mini, it's a self-limiting market because a lot of people don't want a desktop machine. So this is going to be a satellite device for a lot of folks. Because like I said before, far and away, the most popular machines are the portables. So if they make it a desktop machine already, like they don't have to worry about having to manufacture bajillions of them. Um, if they give it a little throwback and it's a $500 machine so that a developer can purchase one and you know, do the work to make sure that everything they've got is compatible the way it needs to be, then great. And it will give people, um, you know, it, it will also be by far the most attractive option for people who don't care quite as much about what uh, what processors in it, you know, what there's going to be like, I can buy an $1,100 mini or I can buy a $500 mini. Like, why would I not buy the $500 mini? For a lot of folks, it's going to be great. You know, it's going to be a great machine. Like if you were already in the market for a desktop, I think, uh, you know, a $500 or $600 mini uh, to get it out there and to get some real world metrics, you know, check that send to developer box I, when you set it up fresh out of the box. A, have they done enough to make you wait till you upgrade? Are you going to pull, are you gonna, or are you going to go like the second hand market, get a machine that can run Big Sur or are you going to hold on a bit longer? Uh, I am in the market for a laptop. I'm uh, only mildly interested in the first, in the first generation of anything. So uh, I probably will not have one anytime soon. Can I just throw in a quickie uh, before we finish up? Um, the, the keynote highlight was the ARM-based computers being talked about. Um, the second highlight for me was with iOS um, 14. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. You will have the ability to customize your home screen to a certain degree, and you will now be able to select your own mail app and uh, browser app. Progress. Yeah. Yes, that is a yeah. It, and actually, and the picture, picture as well. That's something I'm looking forward to. Well, well overdue, I have to say, the ability to change to change some of the default apps. I'm surprised Apple have got away with that for so long. To be honest, I mean, I'm personally quite happy with them, but I can understand why if you want to use you know Chrome on iOS or Firefox on iOS, the fact that it only works when you go there and do it. You can't tap a link that somebody sends you and go directly to that app is yeah i'm surprised apple have got away with that for so long and, and please apple fix my belgium numbers problem yes. please 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 <laughs> please poor poor jim is stuck with this um bug which is specific partly to his carrier um which is that his uh, phone, his uh, 10R, will regularly change the format of all his phone numbers in his contacts to Belgian. So that if he tries to phone a local taxi when he's had one too many Scots 80 shilling ales, he'll be he'll <laughs> oh, ring, be you know he'll be ringing somebody in Ghent or somewhere or Brussels. It's, uh, you know, it's intensely annoying and it's been bugging him for uh, what 18 months or something. Yeah, far too long. Far too long. Uh, there we go. Enough to make me go over to a light phone too. <laughs> <laughs> So there we go. Right. Well, that was interesting. Very interesting. Well, just indeed. one final note. I feel sorry for all the iPad develop, the iOS team, the iPad team, and the watchOS team, who've no doubt worked their absolute knackers off 
to only to be sort of slightly ignored by the Apple Silicon stories. Yes, they've been they've been gazumped to some extent, and they reduced to a second string. Poor, poor, poor people. After no doubt, as you say, working their fingers to the bone, slaving over hot keyboards. Oh dear, there we are. Um, just one thing I'm going to chuck in before we wrap up, and that is <laughs> no, no. Kelly was talking about the pricing. We're all talking about the pricing. Mm. I, I would. What I would like to see is Apple bringing in, you know, replacement Apple Silicon machines and saying, "Here you go. We're going to bring these in at I don't know, two hundred and fifty, three hundred dollars cheaper than the than the Intel equivalent." But I could also see Apple going down the, "You want the new shiny hotness, don't you? You first adopter mugs. So we're going to slap a three hundred dollar premium on it. <laughs> two grand for still- this machine." And they still need an entry level one to get the students into they do. the they new, do. Yeah. I would like I what I would like to see is the mini come in at five to six hundred dollars. Um one of the laptops in the sort of nine hundred to a thousand dollar bracket, maybe cheaper, and the desktops at I don't know what the percentage would be, I don't know, sort of three hundred dollars less than they charge now. Um mm-hmm. Whether Apple are going to go down that road or whether they're going to pull the original uh, MacBook Air, you know, where the original MacBook Air was effectively way underpowered compared to their other machines at the time, and yet they, you know, they whacked a huge premium on it. And because, also make the base level more than 256 gigabytes. Mm, there we go. <laughs> I can see that, yeah. yeah. There we go. Right. Well, Kelly has got to uh, leave us, so we're going to wrap the show up. So, uh, Kelly... Uh, where can people find you around the internet? Well, if you throw a rack, um, no, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, uh, you can find me weekdays on the Mac Observer Daily Observations podcast over at MacObserver.com. Uh, you can also find me on the After Show with Mike and Kelly, where I do a podcast with uh, my friend from the Two Ah Days, Mike Rose. Um, I have my own show about Westworld over at the Incomparable Network, which is called Greetings from the Uncanny Valley. And you can hear me on other Incomparable shows as well at theincomparable.com. And you can sometimes find me on Twitter as Verso. Very good. Uh, Mark? Uh, You can find me here, obviously. You can also find me on my other show that I'm doing, which is the Watching Men podcast and YouTube channel. So go out there, have a look on YouTube for The Watching Men. Uh, We just finished watching Snowpiercer and Spencer Confidential. Uh, And on the Twitter, at Essential Apple, or me, as in me, me, not the working me, is at Ocean Speed. Very good. Jim? Um... Uh, on Flickr as the SRPS paint shop and the Slack group. Uh, also on Vimeo. Uh, you'll find the details in the show notes. And uh, just to remind people, we have a, an essential Apple Flickr group as well if you'd like to join. Uh, more the merrier. Very good. Uh, you can find me on uh, the Twitters as at Serenak, and that's S E R E N A K. All of the stuff for the show is on essentialapple.com. Um, thank you to everybody who listens, supports the show, retweets all our rubbish and all the rest. And uh, don't forget, we have a Slack group, uh, quite an active Slack group. We've got about 50-odd members. Quite a lot of chatter goes on in there, not necessarily all about the show. We have lots of other uh, discussions going on. And uh, I think that's about enough of us. So we'll all say, until next time, goodbye. Goodbye. Ta-da. This is where you say goodbye, Kelly.
Oh, okay. I thought we were just sort of done. Never mind. I was just waiting for everyone else to handle it. See you all later. See you later. Bye, all. Frequent listeners of Nemo's Hardware Store know that I'm a big fan of screen protection. Well, here's a type of screen protection I've seen but I've never used. It's from our friends at Kensington, K-E-N-S-I-N-G-T-O-N, Kensington.com, one of the oldest and most respected names in computer accessories and peripherals. They're called the privacy screens for the MacBook. The one they sent me is for the MacBook 2016 and later. Works the same for both. It's truly magnetic and a slightly different finish on each side of the screen. You clean your display with the cloth they provide, take this thin and dark protective screen out, and it just magnetizes right to the bezel of your display. That's it. There's not even a step one. You just, boom, put it on there, and there it is. And each of the different surfaces looks a little bit different. They describe that on their website. And we do have the links in our show notes for this episode of Essential Apple. Cost is in the $50 to $60 range, $60-$65, depending on where you get it and what size your display is. I'm sure Simon will be able to find the UK and international buying links. For an affordable price, you have total privacy. It definitely restricts the viewing. So when you finally get back on an airplane, or if you're sitting close to somebody in a coffee shop, they won't be able to see your precious pictures or whatever it is, your spreadsheets, projections for your income and distribution, whatever you're doing, it's private. It reduces a little bit of the brightness of your screen, so you want to crank that all the way up, but it's certainly usable under all lighting conditions. So whenever I'm in a public place from now on, I will take my privacy screen from my MacBook. I'll make sure it's on there, on the display, magnetized to the computer, and I won't need to give a thought about somebody looking over my shoulder. Again, look at the website for all the specs. For instance, hiding personal confidential information from anyone trying to look from the side. Reduces harmful blue light by up to 22%. Low reflective coating reduces glare and improves clarity. You get the idea. They've really done a good job for a reasonable price. So you know who you are if you want privacy when you're looking at your MacBook Pro, regardless of the size. Get one of these. Get on with your life. You will be glad Good work on that Kensington. The other product that you've heard me talk about a lot is a tempered glass protection screen for your iPhone. I know there's people who think it reduces the tactile and reduces the capacitive baloney. There is no difference when you get a good screen. This one costs $30 in the U.S. And again, we'll try to find out the U.K. and international pricing. It's called the Diamond Clad Tempered Glass Screen Protector The company is Diamond Dog. Their website is mydiamonddog.com. Here we go. M-Y-D-I-A-M-O-N-D-D-O-G. Mydiamonddog.com for the diamond clad, D-I-A-M-O-N-D-C-L-A-D, tempered glass screen protector. Comes one in a case. They give you ways to clean your display on your phone and match it up. I can't recommend these enough. I can't tell you the number of times that I would have broken my precious iPhone if I did not have a tempered glass protector. I had never heard of Diamond Dog before, but this appears to be a top quality, really excellent for $30 premium glass screen protector. So again, look on the website from our links at Essential Apple. 
They come in all different sizes for the different phones and all sorts of other devices. But we're talking about your iPhone. Get that thing protected and you will be glad you do because one day you're going to drop it. And if you break the front, you'll break the diamond-clad protector. You will not break your ultra-expensive Apple iPhone display. So we've made our pitch here for Kensington privacy screen and Diamond Dog for the iPhone screen. First for the Mac, second for the device that's in your pocket. Back next week. You've been listening to the Essential Apple Podcast. And I'd like to say if you enjoy the show and would like to support us, feel free to go over to the website essentialapple.com and you will find links to both Patreon and the Pinecast Tips Jar where you can make a donation towards the costs of the show. Uh, Or even if you're really keen, you could set up a recurring payment. And thank you very, very much to all the people who already do support us. We really do appreciate you very much indeed. This show is, of course, part of the My Mac Podcasting Network, where you can find a variety of other shows like the My Mac Podcast with Guy and Gaz, the G-Men, Tech Fan with Tim and David, the Nintendo Club Podcast, the Geekiest Show Ever, the Three Geeky Ladies, uh, Bart Bouchotts and his wonderful Let's Talk Apple, and possibly some more that I've forgotten. So why not go over to mymac.com, take a look at the available podcast, and take a listen. Hi, this is Dave Ginsberg. I'm the host of In Touch with iOS, a podcast that talks about iPhone, iPad, Apple Watch, Apple TV, and anything related to those technologies. Um, with my along with my co-host Warren Sklar, um, we get in depth with a lot of great things that relates to iOS and and its technologies. I'd love to give you to give it a listen. Uh, you can find us at intouchwithios.com, or we are in Apple Podcasts or any. Uh, podcatcher will be able to find us um, but uh, give us a listen we'd love to have you listening to uh, those great technologies and relating to iOS thanks Thank you for listening and we hope to see you next time.